we have a lot to cover tonight. I don't know if we'll be able to make it through everything. And we do want to take time for questions because we're kind of two weeks into turning the ship. And I'm sure that things have come up and you're like, what do we do about this? How do we handle this? And we're going to start so, getting pretty specific. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to start to get more practical this week. And next week will be the most practical week. Kind of our theme for tonight is wise heart training in conflict resolution. So remember last week we talked about the fact that the best time for heart training is in times of non-conflict, but that doesn't mean that's the only time we train hearts, right? So we want to be able to gain wisdom for how to train hearts in times of conflict. So what I want us to start with is a little bit of a workshop time, workshop moment of what was the style of conflict resolution in your home when you were growing up. I want you to take a minute to think about that and then maybe condense that into one phrase or one sentence and share with us how you feel like that has impacted your parenting. So think about it for a minute. What was the style of conflict resolution in your home growing up? Yep, exactly. (laughs) So I think it's really helpful for us to evaluate what we came from Because whether we realize it or not, it affects and impacts almost on the daily Mm -hmm. how we then set a tone, so to speak, for conflict resolution in our own families. Mm -hmm. And as much as we may want to think, no, that doesn't impact me, I'm doing it different as we talked about in the first week. We talked about why we parent, avoidance parenting, right? I'm not going to do it like my parents did. So we may think that that's what we're doing, but most often these things creep in and we find ourselves sounding just like our dad or acting just like our mom or having those behaviors. And so when it comes to conflict resolution, because this is such a big part of the parenting process, we need to evaluate carefully, okay, where am I actually headed? in this process. What's my motivation and what's my goal, my end goal, and how do I get there along the way? And so we're going to kind of open that up tonight. I want to start with a sentiment that I think we need to keep in mind as we move forward, and that is wise parenting is always better than power parenting. Wise parenting is always better than power parenting. Now, power parenting can look a lot of different ways. Sometimes power parenting can be authoritarian parenting. You do what I say because I said it. Sometimes power parenting can be manipulative through emotion. Sometimes power parenting can be controlling in, you don't do what I say, I'm going to give you consequences. Almost like a threat type of a thing. The Lord has actually given us a position of authority right? But we tend to want to move into that power play with our kids. We need to step back and remember wisdom always trumps because not only is wisdom going to bring a solution to the situation, but it's going to deposit something in our child's heart, as we talked about last week, that they can pull on in the future. So when we find ourselves in a situation where there is conflict that needs to be resolved, we need to pull back and ask the Holy Spirit, where is wisdom? in this situation. The goal of conflict resolution. Let's talk about the goal. I think we all know that we want to have peace in the home. And we all know, as we've talked over the last few weeks, that we want our child to gain maturity, gain 
self-government, be able to grow as a person. We want them to have these skills. And so as we are teaching them how to resolve conflict and resolving conflict between us and them, that's part of the process is having them grow in maturity and gain these skills. So that's a big part of conflict resolution. However, the primary goal of conflict resolution is to deepen our connection relationally with our child and deepen their heart connection with the Lord. So I guess those would be two goals, the two primary goals. Now, the reason why authoritarian parenting works for behavior modification is because of the power issue, right? But most kids that have grown up in an authoritarian household cannot usually say, yeah, I'm so close to that particular parent. I feel heart connected with that parent. They know me intimately and I know them intimately. And so we want to remember that because that's our goal, we have to keep in mind, how am I going to walk out of the situation with my child actually strengthened in my relationship with them? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different approach to conflict resolution. So that's our primary goal or primary two goals. Second, I already mentioned, it's to train our kids to take responsibility for their choices. Now, this is not just the choice of mom said not to touch the cookie. They reached up and got the cookie. So now there's going to be a consequence. But this is the kind of choice, as Matt and Jenna brought up, they have one of their children who always thinks of themselves first. That kind of choice. What is the consequence of that choice? How do you take responsibility for that kind of choice? So we want our child to be able to understand how to walk in a, in a posture of accepting responsibility for their choices. So that's another goal of conflict resolution. And we especially want them to see how those choices impact those around them. Okay, so this I would say goes back to that catchphrase that Chris and I talk about a lot, which was the primary goal for us as parents. It was like the centerpiece of our family vision, which was otherly mindedness. So you put everything through a filter of how does your choice, how does your action, how does your attitude impact the Lord's heart? And then secondarily, how does this impact others? So as we move forward in this, as we're looking at how to deal with conflict resolution in a healthy way, how to achieve these goals in conflict resolution, what we have to begin to do, and it really doesn't matter the age of our child, we have to evaluate their behavior through a grid of, was this action, attitude, choice, birthed out of childishness, or was it birthed out of foolishness? Now, childishness is simply what I think we would all term as immaturity, basic childish immaturity. Let me give you an example of this. You have little Johnny with a friend over, and Johnny and his friend are playing outside, and they're all caught up in the game. Maybe they're playing cowboys and Indians, and you know all kinds of ruckus going on outside. And the cowboy comes in and decides to tear through the house, and the Indian's right on his tail. And as they're running through the house, Johnny accidentally knocks the lamp over, and it breaks. Is that childishness, or is it foolishness? The way that we evaluate that is we look at a couple of factors. Number one, we look at the child's age. 
So if it's a two-year-old or a three-year-old, it's more likely to be childishness than it is foolishness. We always want to look at the age appropriateness of the action and understand their maturity level and their self-governance level, okay? But second and more importantly, we have to ask ourselves, was there prior instruction given? If there was prior instruction given, if mom had said to little Johnny, Johnny, you and your buddy need to stay outside and play. Or, Johnny, we don't run through the house. When we come into the house, we stop running and we leave that kind of play outside. There could be a lot of other things mom might have said, a lot of other instruction that was given. But as soon as that instruction is given, that action moves from the childish behavior to the foolish behavior. Why? Because foolishness is rooted in rebellion. We all have it. We all have that root of rebellion that wells up in us. I'm going to do it my way. Oftentimes that looks like I forgot or I didn't hear you or I wasn't really paying attention. Could you say that again? I wasn't sorry, mom. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Right? But if instruction was given, that behavior is fully in the foolishness camp. Doesn't matter when the instruction was given. Doesn't matter when the instruction so, was given. No, we're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about appropriate reminders yeah. and windows for reminders. But because of that, that will lead mom and dad on a certain path of how to handle this conflict resolution, right? And we're going to talk next week about specifics of discipline, discipline flowcharts, how to handle things with littles, middles, and olders. But this week we want to focus more on the heart of the conflict resolution. So childishness versus foolishness this is really important. You'll be able to see patterns with your kids. So even for your olders, even for a 13 year old or a 12 year old, they will still act childishly in certain ways. Their brain is not fully developed. They don't have all the self-governance that they need. And some things are done out of ignorance, out of naivety. However, as a child gets older, they should have more of those shelves in their moral warehouse filled because you've had the time to pour into their heart and disciple their heart and train their heart. So the opportunities for childishness grow less as they get older and foolishness grows more. Unfortunately, that is the tough part about the older ones is that you're able to look at their heart and go, mm -mm, no, I know what the root of this was. Yeah. I can see it. And then it's hard when there is times you're still like you think that or your predisposition, like hey, this is being foolish or rebellious. But then you're like, oh, but there may, there is sometimes areas like it might just be flat out. Just you know, they're not fully. And that's when you feel like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But there are many times where we want to give our kids the benefit of the doubt, right. especially yeah. in the younger age yeah. where you think they can't possibly know that that was what they were doing. Right? <laughs> and, and the truth is that more often than not, they do. Do know. They do know. Yeah. Yeah. If a two-year-old has an understanding of something and is testing, it doesn't necessarily reflect on whether or not there's been a truth deposited in the moral warehouse. It's just rebellion, right? It's just... The sin nature. You said, I can't basically have a fun life. And I want to have a fun life, right? That's the processing of a, of a two-year-old. I don't know what you said, but I know it has something to do with the fact that I may not have a fun life. <laughs> and I want to have a fun life. And so I'm going to do anything I want to do. 
later as they're older, then the question is twofold. It's not only are you in rebellion, but also have we already talked about this moral principle that's addressed through your behavior? One of the one of the key scriptures that we use as a foundation for this idea is from James chapter 4 verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Very black and white. Now, you're right, Jason. It's not always going to be as black and white for us as parents in the evaluation process. But right here, James is telling us when the deposit's been made into the heart and that person, that child knows what's right to do, but they choose not to do it. That's when it's sin. That's when it's no longer childishness. That's when it becomes a sin issue. And so we have to then move forward in the conflict resolution process, knowing and understanding that and treating it as such versus treating it as childishness. So next week we're going to talk about kind of the, the different flow charts of if it's childishness, what steps do we take? If it's foolishness, what steps do we take? So we want to remember that we need to go to the root. Here's what I want you to think about. If we treat childishness like foolishness, so more of that authoritarian parent style, we'll end up with a discouraged disengaged and eventually relationally shut down heart in our child. So if we consistently treat childishness as foolishness, they'll be discouraged, disengaged, and eventually relationally shut down. However, conversely, if we treat foolishness like childishness consistently, we will end up with a selfish, stubborn, and independent heart in our child. That's why it's important to be able to evaluate the difference as we move through conflict resolution. And you can see this all the time. You can, I mean, it's so easy to have examples everywhere you go. You look at all your friends' kids, your family's kids, and you can see, oh, their parent may have missed that, but I know that was foolishness, but they're treating it like childishness. And you can see that as that pattern continues, as the child gets more mature, then this selfish, stubborn heart begins to develop in the child a me-focused heart. They want whatever they want. They're going to get it. I got to see this recently with a family that I was visiting and the littlest who is two years old and the parents are telling the littlest one, don't touch that. And then they turn away. And what they're not seeing is she's just literally watching them at two years old. She's just watching them, waiting for them to look away. And then she just immediately does whatever they said no to. watching the whole thing. I I got to watch it roll out all weekend and I talked to him about it afterwards and said, did you know this is happening? And they like, dang it. We're we're afraid that might be happening. (laughs) But it's like, you know, a two year old. So that's, it's hardwired into us. You don't have to train a child to think rebellious thoughts. Yeah. Right. So on that note, I want to reinforce something that we've touched on in previous weeks, and that is, remember that we are always looking for opportunities to train the heart of our child. I remember this time pretty vividly because we had a guest with us. We had, I had the guest with me in the room, and Alyssa and Landon decided to get into a fight. And I think she was probably five at this time. Landon was three. 
And Alyssa, being the older one, was very manipulative and controlling and, you know, she's upset and, and she's making Landon cry and all these different things. And I pulled her aside and I sat her down and I said, okay, honey, you know you're going to have to have consequences for that choice, right? And she said, yes, because she knew. I said to her, let's talk about where that came from in your heart. She had gotten upset because Landon had done something to her. And she was able to evaluate and say, I had a me first heart, because that was a phrase we used a lot with our kids. I had a me first attitude, I had a me first heart. And I said, yeah, you did have a me first heart, but you have to understand that that me first heart actually came from pride. And so what I want to encourage you in is that when you train this early, when you begin to pour this into your children early, they will, by the time they're seven, eight, nine years old, be able to recognize and say, no, that was, that was definitely a root of anger that came because I felt like there was an unjust situation. And so instead of choosing to trust the Lord for justice and appeal to my parents for justice, I chose to take matters into my own hands. That that kind of situation will come up all the time and you want them to be able to do that, to be able to function with the Lord that way. This will actually become the core of your conflict resolution, is training them to recognize the sin in their own heart. Now, when they're little, you're going to basically point it out for them. No, this is what it was because you're teaching them. When you've got middles and olders, you're going to ask the thought-provoking questions. You want them to be able to take it to the Lord. You want them to be able to think realistically about what was actually the attitude in their heart and what choice they made because of that. For most of us in business, you understand the idea that a wise manager is the, is the kind who will present an idea by asking questions and let others come to the manager's conclusion without realizing they've come to that manager's conclusion. A conflict resolution tool is to ask questions, not with littles, not with littles. I mean, simple questions you can ask. But the idea is for them to be searching yeah. their own heart yeah. and for you to be appreciating and respecting their heart mm -hmm. and their process. When this happens, you're going to begin to see elimination of a lot of petty conflicts because as the recognition of the sin issue comes into their own heart and they begin to take this to the Lord for themselves, a lot of that stuff that you were dealing with on the daily will begin to fade away because the Holy Spirit will begin to transform their hearts. Remember that we want to grow children who become adults who interface with the Holy Spirit. We want them to be able to know and recognize that tug of the Holy Spirit. We want them to hear the voice of Jesus speaking to their hearts and calling out things in their hearts, that sweet discipline that he brings. We don't want to have to be holding their hand at 18 yeah. years old and going, did you see that you ran into that person's car and now there's problems? Why did you do that? We want them to not even move to that place because before they even think about getting into the car, they're thinking of driving in a way that blesses others and is otherly minded, right? So this affects every area of our child's life, but we want them to be able to govern their relationship with Jesus on their own in such a way that when we're out of the picture, they're fully interfacing with the Holy Spirit. And that will take mom and dad exercising discernment in those conversations about how the Holy Spirit speaks, yeah. right? Yeah. And helping the kid understand, no, that wasn't the Holy Spirit, and here's why. Because 
your objective is just like training in the prophetic. Your objective is not to have people that feel good about themselves all the time because, oh, I, I hope I heard from the Lord. Your objective is to grow in that gift, and that's what you want for your kids, is to grow in their understanding of what's it like to hear the voice of the Lord versus my emotion, which is louder than his still small voice, my ideas, my environment, culture, etc. So this is a really important tool that you are helping to inform as they grow. So I want us to turn a corner and talk about choice and rights and privileges. Because we have free will, because we have choice, this is something we want to actively teach our children about. From the time that they're Sammy's age, all the way up through they leave the house. And when they're littles, it's a very black and white issue of a wise choice or a foolish choice. And I want you guys to remember terminology counts, right? So we tried to, we didn't always do a good job of it, but we tried to use terminology that reflected scripture when we were training our kids. doesn't mean there's one right way to talk to your kids about these things, but we tried to, to say, okay, is this a wise choice like you were talking about from Proverbs or a foolish choice? Because Proverbs has a lot to yeah. say about the fool right? A lot to say about the fool. And so we wanted our kids to understand that this is God's heart and this is what he wants them to avoid the path of the fool. He wants them to walk in the path of wisdom. Talks a lot about wisdom in Proverbs. So having our children understand that pretty much everything they do because of this gift of free will is a choice and they can take either that wise path or the foolish path. Now, what can happen is when we get outside of the parenting funnel and we give our child too much choice too soon, what ends up happening in that kind of scenario is because they don't have the self-government to handle those choices, they end up becoming what scripture calls wise in their own eyes. Now, we see this kind of child all over the place. The earmarks are pretty easy to spot. This is the child that tells their parent how they actually need to do things. No, 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 mom, I need to correct you right now because actually this is the way it goes. Okay? This is the child that informs mom what they're going to have for lunch rather than mom deciding what they're going to make for lunch. This is the child that has a very difficult time submitting to authority because they're used to rolling out all the choices that are going to happen in the day. This is the child that assumes authority with siblings. Siblings and other children. Yeah, and what that is a result of is, number one, it can come from an exhausted parent. And so that parent just decides, I'm so exhausted, I'm just letting you have all the choice because I can't handle the consequence of trying to rein in your choices and keep you within that funnel of what you're actually able to handle. Okay, so Just don't do anything stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, I only want to hear about it if it's a big problem, yeah. right? So another reason a parent can do this with their child is because they feel like my child is a prodigy. They are so smart. They are so above average. They are so good at X, Y, Z that I just need to give them the opportunity to grow in this at one and a half years old. They know exactly what color cup they want. They know exactly what they should wear. They know exactly how we do and roll out the schedule for the day. So why wouldn't I give them the opportunity to be in charge of these things? 
that's a very common scenario, especially with firstborns, because when we have our firstborn, as Kate knows, it's like, wow, I didn't know they could do this. This is amazing. <laughs> and it is amazing. So those are two factors that can really lead us to begin to give our child too much choice too soon. The end result of that is when we get to middles and olders, very difficult to train them in submission to authority, in otherly mindedness, preferring others above ourselves. Respecting authority. Mm -hmm. Because they've been used to having all this choice and the power of choice. So what we want to train our children in from the time they're at Sandy's age is yes, you have a choice, but you want to choose wisdom and the choices that mom and dad give you are going to be age appropriate choices tied to your ability to govern yourself. Now that encompasses a lot as you think about your child and where they're at and you think about what privileges and rights, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, are in their life as a result of the choices that they get to make. The trick too is personality in that gifting. You start thinking of adults, right? And it's like, you know, the one big thing, especially in sales is, you know, or just in life and in business, but it's like, you know, either you're doing what you want and ask for permission later. Or, you know, and that's not always a bad thing because mm-hmm. you can get stuck and if everybody's trying to right, right. stay in the lane and, and you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're never getting anything done. And so it's like, so if a kid's going to be a business leader, if a kid's going to be a leader in general, it's like, it's managing all that too. And I, I don't know what all that looks like, but just what their personality is, mm-hmm. giving freedom for that, mm-hmm. but also parenting, not losing your mind. Mm-hmm. And like, and you know what I'm saying? All, mm-hmm. It's just, it's tricky, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I think this goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago of the standard is the same, but how we bring our child to the standard will vary based on the personality, the gifting, because not every child is going to be gifted the same. Some children are going to be naturally more capable than others. They're going to have a greater capacity than others. That's just how they are. So what we have to then evaluate is, is their self-governance equal to their capacity? Is it equal to their capability? If it's not, if they don't have the self-control to yield themselves to the Holy Spirit, to yield themselves to the authority of their parents, to match all those other things in their personality, then we have to look at that factor more so than the capability or the giftedness. Because otherwise, that giftedness or that capability or capacity will end up being a stumbling block. Okay, so let's talk about then choice and how it affects or how it's tied to rights and privileges. Within the context of a family, everybody has free will to choose. However, there are things that are rights in a family and there are things that are privileges. And these are going to come into play later when we talk about consequences. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Parents' favorite week. Consequence week. (laughs) So, honey, would you be willing to describe a few of the things that are rights for a child, no matter where they're at in the growth process within the context of a family? This is pretty self-explanatory. Rights are care and protection, provision from the parent. Mm -hmm. Those rights are almost like in our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, inalienable rights. 
right? That's what the founding fathers said. There are certain things that are given by the Lord that are unable to be taken away. They're inalienable and they remain no matter what. But there are other things that are actually privileges in the, the life of that child. The child needs to have an understanding and awareness of this is a privilege, not a right. Now, let me give you an example for a very small child. Let's say a three-year-old, and I already touched on this, but imagine that you're going to get your three-year-old dressed and it's time to pick out what they're going to wear. And that child pitches a fit because they want to wear the blue shirt instead of the red shirt. Now, they do have free will to make a choice, but in this instance, is their choice to choose either the red shirt or the blue shirt, is it a right or a privilege? privilege. It's a privilege. It's a right in the context of the family for them to be clothed for the day. That's a right that's given to them in the context of our family. But the choice of red shirt, blue shirt is actually a privilege. We're all going to the beach for the day as a family. Is that a right or a privilege? It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Now the kid may think it's a right especially if everybody's going. And the reason I bring this up is because when the children were little, we lived on the loop in San Clemente, so we were steps away from the beach and we would go to the beach all the time. But there were often times where as a consequence, we would rescind the privilege to go to the beach and that child would have to stay home with one of the parents and the other children got to go with the other parent because it was a privilege. At the dinner table, within the context of our family in the U.S., is sitting down to have dinner a right or a privilege? In this context, it would be a right because we all have that in the family, the right to eat a meal because that's what's been provided. However, the privilege comes into play when it's the choice of what the food is going to look like on your plate. How much, you how much the amount, yeah, how much that you have to finish. How long you need to sit at the table <laughs> or don't have to sit at the table. Obviously, your attitude while you're eating, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. Thankfulness, mm -hmm. etc. Food is a really big one and mealtime is a big one because most parents treat the entire experience like rights. Mm -hmm. Whatever mm -hmm. you want, whenever you want, mm -hmm. however you want mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And they don't say that and they're not thinking that, but this is how they behave. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give a very small example at some point in the process of your child growing up and eating, let's say lunch, mom's making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and that child decides at some point to exert his rights and says, I'm not gonna eat that unless you cut the crust off. So mom cuts the crust off. Well, what happens at that point? From that point on, every day, the crust gets cut off because the child has decided, that's my right. Now, actually, that would be a privilege that mom might give you once or twice or whatever, however many times it would be. Oh, we're going to have a special sandwich today. I'm going to cut the crust off and actually throw away all that good bread that should go in your belly. It's going to go into the trash. But we see this all the time. And so I want us to be aware that as we're talking about choice, we have to begin to train our kids to understand, even from a young age, three years old, the difference between a right and a privilege so that when we bring consequence into their life to help shape their heart, they understand, no, that was a privilege and that privilege has been withheld in order to allow my heart to be impacted.
We want our kids, obviously, to choose wisely. So how do we help them in this process before we even get to the conflict, the moment of conflict? Helping them to understand rights and privileges, helping them to understand where their choice comes in and where they don't have a choice. Those things all help to avoid conflict so that we don't even have to go to the conflict resolution place. Another tool that we would encourage you to use to help avoid conflict before you even get there is the pre-activity reminder or a timely preparation. reminder. Preparation. Yeah. Preparation is giving our kids every advantage to succeed. Yeah, to choose wisely. So for example, you are driving over to a friend's house where you're going to have dinner together. You've been invited for dinner. And in the car now on the way is where you're going to be having these reminders of, do you remember that we've talked about when somebody hands you a plate, you say, thank you very much. You eat everything on the plate and then you thank them afterwards. And you, and you just go through these steps right before the event to set them up for success. Mm-hmm. This works both for littles really well for littles because you're in they're, they're so you know in the moment and and they're even though they do have a long memory longer than we often think it, it's just so good for them to be in that moment of we're about to walk in the door i'm going to give the reminder right now remember when mr so-and-so comes to the door and he says hi johnny you're going to look in his eyes and you're going to say hello mr so-and-so right just that little encouragement so that that child doesn't right from the get-go get set up to fail and go straight into conflict and right from the moment that you enter into that person's house you're having to deal with conflict resolution so that's one thing for the middles and the olders i would say this is incredibly important when they're going into a situation where you are going to release them to be independent in some measure, okay? When mom and dad is not there. So let's say they're going to a friend's house or they're going to youth group or they're going into classes or you know, for the day you're gonna drop them off for classes. Great time to bring up things that you've talked about the day before, maybe things that you've had conflict in from the previous week and just begin to ask leading questions. How are you feeling about today? What are you thinking about as you're processing what today's going to look like? I want to encourage you to remember to be otherly minded, to be honoring, to be whatever the issue may be, right? So that they're set up for success right before they even go in. Super important for those middles and olders because oftentimes they will buzz right past those moments because they're so ready to go into whatever it is that you're giving them the privilege and the freedom to go into. And you need to pull them back and have them be able to think it through. To conclude the topic of choice, I want to throw something out that really had a big impact on us, and that was good, better, and best. Within the freedom of choice that the Lord has given us, we have the opportunity to choose what is foolishness, obviously. But within the realm of wisdom, there is good, there is better, and there is best. Let's say you're in the grocery store, you're in the market with your child, and they see that there's an elderly person in front of them, in front of you, and that person is struggling to maybe put something in their cart or whatever it may be. So the good choice would be for your child to say to that person, can I help you in that moment? Can I help you? 
that's good. That's kind of like the baseline of, acceptable. of what's acceptable, right? We want to be otherly minded. We want to think of others. We want to honor others. So we're going to take the time to show honor to someone else by saying, can I help you? What would be better would be for that child to say something like, is there anything else I can get for you? Can I help you with anything else that's not right here? What would be best would be for that child to say, let me push your cart out to your car for you and load your groceries for you. So what often happens is we as parents in our crazy insanity life, <laughs> we settle for accepting what's good and we don't take the time to teach our children that there's actually better and best in every choice we make. Simple example in with littles mm -hmm. would be greeting adults mm -hmm. and having that, that kind of conversation exchange where an adult says, well, hello, Susie. And so acceptable, good is hello, Mr. So-and-so. And so we just want the bare minimum. We have an expectation of Honor. at least that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. At least there needs to be a response. So what would be an example of better in this scenario? If good is, hello, Mr. Salto, what would be better? Ask a question. That's exactly right. Asking a question. And we would say that best would be offering a compliment. Yeah. Thinking through how can I bless this person, bless this person? in conversation? Yeah. And so one of the easiest ways to do that in conversation is to compliment somebody and to be thinking that way ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It forces you as a child to go into a room not thinking about yourself. This is forcing our kids out of myopicness. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. Because then they're going to be sitting in a room like this now looking at people and thinking about things that are special about that person, things that, that I appreciate about that person. Because, heaven forbid, they ask me a question and I don't have anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> Good, better, and best helps to bring our kids out of their own little world. Mm -hmm. So as we're talking about this context of choice... This is a way for us to avoid conflict even before we, we move in that direction, right? Teaching our children, yeah, we can choose foolishness. If we do, there's going to be consequence, which we'll talk about next week. If we choose wisdom, we get to choose where we walk in that scale, so to speak, of, of wisdom, of wise choices. We can do the bare minimum, and yeah, that's good. Or we can choose to go over and above to be the biggest blessing that we can possibly be. The fruit of that that we reap in our child is this beautiful love of virtue that we discussed in the first week, right? We talked about the fact that authoritarian parenting kind of squelches the love of virtue because kids do things out of fear of a reproof. So we want to put this love of virtue in our child. And if we teach them, okay, the way of wisdom is best, but within the way of wisdom, there are these levels that we can walk in to bring the most blessing to someone else that teaches them to love the way of wisdom because they see the fruit of wisdom in not only their own lives, but in other people's lives. So if we're constantly, again, talking about what we discussed last week, when you sit down, when you stand up, when you're on the go, when you're at home, when you lie down, you're always talking to your kids about these things, discussing, asking questions. How did this affect your day? Where did you see this interaction, this kind of interaction take place? In the home with your siblings, outside of the home always discussing the heart of the father in this way. 
And this begins to develop in them this beautiful love of virtue. So we're going to talk about some, some tips and tools now, practical tips and tools for the youngers and then the middles to the olders, how to kind of bring this all to life in your home. For the youngers, one of the biggest tips and tools to help the conflict resolution before it even begins is the concept of first-time obedience. When mom or dad speaks, we obey the first time. Game changer. It is a yeah. game changer for littles to accomplish exactly what James talks about in James chapter 4. So when you know to do right but you don't do it, that's when it, it's yeah. sin. So when we set a standard in our home of when mom and dad give instruction, you obey the first time, that eliminates a lot of conflict that can otherwise come into the home of, well, was this, did they really disobey? Should I bring consequences time? Well, maybe I should do it next time. It's just this black and white standard. There's a couple of things to go alongside first-time obedience to help you help your kids with first-time obedience. The first thing is a verbal response, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. an acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. So that helps mom, dad, and child. Mm -hmm. So for example, you're giving an instruction across the house. Mm -hmm. There needs to be that acknowledgement of, okay, mom, okay, dad, or yes, mom, whatever it is in your family. Yes, Sir King. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever you, whatever you come up with, it needs yeah. to be universal in your family. Okay, that's not something that, you know, the older sibling gets to say something different than the younger sibling. Everybody says the same thing. Whatever it is in your home. In our home, it was yes, mom, yes, dad. Just that acknowledgement of I've heard you and I'm moving to obey. It's a very Southern thing. In the South, it's... Yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma right? Mm -hmm. So that's actually a, a very respectful thing, mm -hmm. but it's also very purposeful. Mm -hmm. We have a connection now. We, ha we actually have a verbal contract. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I said yes. something, you acknowledged it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to assume mm -hmm. you heard and understood. When you train your child to give that verbal response as the precursor to first-time obedience, you get to hear the tone of their voice. And tone is very important. So I will circle back around to this in a minute, but just know that this response has many different functions mm -hmm. because not only does it serve as an acknowledgement and almost like a kicking your child into gear, but it also gives you an indication of what's going on in their heart. Right, because in addition to responding the first time, they need to respond with a cheerful heart. Yeah. We pull this from 1 Samuel. When Samuel is there and the Lord calls him, what does he do? Here I am. He gets up immediately. He runs into Eli's room. He said, did you call me? He thought it was Eli, right? Yeah. And so his response is respectful to Eli. It's immediate and it's cheerful. And then he goes back and the Lord calls him again, immediately up out of bed, back into Eli. Did you call me? Yes, here I am. And then Eli tells him, it's the Lord. Say to him, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so that's exactly what Samuel does. The Lord comes and says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So we want to train our children. This is the posture we want them to have, not because we want to you know, beat something into them for the sake of our own happiness. This is the posture that the Lord is asking us as his kids to have. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I'll act immediately on whatever it is you ask me to do. 
and ready and prepared to obey. So this has a long-term impact on our kids' hearts. One of the things that comes in opposition to first-time obedience, there's, there's two on my mind right now. The first is threatening, repeating parents. Mm-hmm. And the second is counting to three or counting to 10 or whatever your family number is. So, <laughs> so let's talk about those things for a minute. Threatening and repeating. Yeah, I believe in first-time obedience. And so here's, here's what that actually looks like. Hey, Johnny, you're going to pick up your plate there and put it away? Yes, Dad. Okay. Don't have to tell you again. Johnny, remember what I said. You need to obey me the first time. Johnny. So that's threatening, repeating, and that's not what first-time obedience looks like. And this is a really good opportunity to underscore exactly what first-time obedience does look like. It's, Johnny, I need you to pick up your plate. Okay, Mommy. And Johnny picks up the plate and immediately does it. That's it. That's all there is to it. Anything less than that is not first-time obedience, and so it has to be addressed. The second is the, the counting, and we've all seen that happen. Some of us have used that. It's, it's kind of hilarious. The, the idea is... Um, it doesn't work. <laughs> the idea is... I'm going to let you think about whether or not you want to obey. It's kind of like playing chicken with a child. Right? And the child can, can dodge at the last second and call the shot. Yeah. yeah. So that's not first-time obedience. First-time obedience, there's no counting. There's, no, there's just take care of this. And yes, mom. Yes, dad. And immediate action. Anything less than this is not the standard at all. So if you haven't established that well, yeah, seriously, it's like nonstop consequence is where mm-hmm. we're going to live for a little while until yeah. it gets yes. correct. Until so we're that on the right track. Turned. Yes, you are. We, yeah, but well, we are, but we gotta stop doing things. <laughs> there's an, that doesn't work. There's an, <laughs> in, <laughs> an intense week mm-hmm. of self correction. Mm-hmm. There's an intense week of the family pressing in on this yeah. with all kinds of. Mm-hmm. It's a challenging week. It's locked down. Yeah. And you just expect that. Yeah. yeah. And the consequence, this is where we need the next lesson mm-hmm. of just like, mm-hmm. again, we're running out of ideas. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. It's like, right. Yeah. Age appropriate. Yeah. We, yeah. We, can talk, right. we can talk more yeah. about that. That's another zero off of your will. Yeah, no, no, that's good. Um, that's very real. It's very yeah. real. It's actually easier to train littles in first-time obedience than it is yeah. to train older. Yeah. They don't know any better. They don't have to Untrained. unlearn. Yeah. But on that note, it's not too late to train them in this. And remember, though, with your olders, what this is unto. Okay, this is not unto a magic Robotic. Trick. Yeah, Robotic. I'm going to say this. You're going to do it. Yeah. That's not what this is unto. It's unto the posture of the heart. Yeah. So the posture of the heart is, here I am. What do I need to do? What's your instruction for me, Mom and Dad? Respect, How can I honor, mm-hmm. sensitivity yeah. to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. These are the kinds of things that create space for the child to appreciate God's grace. Yeah. Yeah. If these things aren't happening in the home, there's no context for grace. Everything, the whole house, the whole family dynamic yeah. is sloppy grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have an entitlement mentality mm-hmm. with the Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, I feel like it's training 
Parents need to yeah. train ourselves. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what we learned the first time right. we ever we, took a parenting class. We like, ah! used to wait for which week, remember we told you it was like a 14 week class, which, which week would the parents realize, oh, this is not about my kids. <laughs> the light bulb coming on as parents are like I just wanted you to fix my kids that's, that's why I came to this class uh, okay so we'll talk about some more of the, the tools for the littles next week but I want to get to the middles and the olders because we're pretty much done like I said tone is just as important as action so Luke 645 out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks Whatever's in the heart of your child is what is going to come out. And the tone will indicate that. Mm. So if the tone is indicating rebellion, anger, sassiness, yeah, sass, anything other than that submission, then that's what you have to deal with first. You can't even deal with the fact that they chose, you know, whether or not they chose to obey or disobey. You've got to deal with the attitude of the heart because that's what the father looks at. The father looks at the attitude of their heart. You know, we've all been there. We may obey what the Lord has asked us to do, but if we do it grumbling and complaining the whole way, we're just like the Israelites in the desert. So we do not want to train children who are like those Israelites. Yes, we'll do it, but we'll grumble and complain the whole way. So we want to check for our olders and our middles tone. With the olders and the middles, we want to, as we're training them in these things and trying to teach them to avoid the conflict before it even happens right through these tools we want to once we've begun to train them give them space to fail we don't want to be a helicopter parent we don't want to hover 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 making sure they're always choosing the right thing once we've put these things into their hearts we need to teach them i trust the holy spirit in you I know the Holy Spirit speaks to you. I believe that you are going to choose to yield to the Holy Spirit because I know your heart. I know who you are as a son or daughter. I trust that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and I believe that you can listen to him and then give them a chance to choose and to fail. If we do not allow them to choose with the opportunity to fail, then when they get to be 18 and we're not there to hold their hand, things will go south. So we want to make sure we give them, once we've poured these things into them, the opportunity to choose and to fail. And to look then at that as a teaching opportunity. The last thing I wanted to mention for the middles and olders we've already touched on, but I'm going to say it again because I feel like it can't be said often enough. Teach them to identify the root of sin in their own heart. Take the time that it takes to help them. If they don't understand what the root is, ask them leading questions to help them understand why they behaved the way they behaved, where it's coming from, and then teach into the opposite virtue. So if the root of their behavior is pride, what is the opposite virtue? It's a submissive spirit. And then that gives you an opportunity as a parent to walk with them through that process of what does it look like to choose a submissive spirit. This has massive dividends for them as young adults. So just a comparison for myself of when I was a young adult and comparing it to watching my kids, they're so much more in tune with their hearts and their conscience Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. than I was at their age Mm -hmm. to where I can sit down with my 22-year-old 
have a conversation about a decision that he made and ask him just a couple of questions and then he'll quickly volunteer. Yeah, that was definitely pride in me. It was definitely pride or lust motivated or fear, Mm -hmm. greed or whatever it is, they can quickly identify it. Mm -hmm. I remember me being at that age, all that wanted to come out of me was excuses. Mm -hmm. That's all that just naturally came out. It wasn't like I was thinking I need to get out of this. It just, that's all that came out. Well, justification, justification, this and justification that. And so if you're pouring this into your kids, you're actually training them how to think in humility so that they can process as adults where they've blown it, take responsibility and actually be adults. So we know that Hebrews tells us that the fruit of discipline should be the peaceable fruit of righteousness, right, in our lives. And this is where we see that come into play. If as we teach our children how to resolve conflict well, how to choose well, even before they get to a place of conflict, the fruit of that difficulty in the training process of the inputting into their hearts, of working through, of teaching them how to observe and understand these things, all of that is going to have a fruit of the peaceable fruit of righteousness that's going to yield huge dividends in their lives as they get older. So I do want to give two resources tonight. This, these are for the middles to olders. Parenting Teens with Love and Logic. Fantastic book. This really helps walk you through. This might actually be really good in regards to those consequences. It helps you to understand how to train your teen to think logically in regards to choices and consequences and helping them along that road so that you have to do less of the work and they do more of it for themselves and then loving them in the process. So Parenting Teens with Love and Logic by Foster Klein and Jim Fay. They have a little one, Love and Logic. For the yes, they have Love and Logic for the Youngers, yeah. And then I would highly recommend On Becoming Teen Wise by Gary Ezzo. Gary Ezzo is the one that has Child Wise, Baby Wise, mm, Toddler Wise. Toddler-wise. Yeah. So there's one for each stage, Toddler, Child, Preteen, and Teen. They and are incredibly practical. practical. Mm. Do you ever get like analysis paralysis of reading all the different parenting books? <laughs> I mean, because I mean, everybody has a little bit. I mean, there's just a lot out there. We've gone through tons of them, mm-hmm. and so it seems like we're presenting a lot because we presented two or three on the first week, mm-hmm. like five mm-hmm. last week, and another another several today, and then another few. That, but literally, overall, we're talking about a dozen books mm-hmm. out of hundreds mm-hmm. that are available mm-hmm. that we personally have yeah. gone through. Mm-hmm. And so what we're hopefully presenting here is reducing that work. Yeah. yeah. But I agree. Yeah, Matt, I think you're going to have to understand, is this book foundationally in line with our family vision? Yeah. Okay, so what we're doing in these four weeks is giving this incredibly condensed offering, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. But I think even if, like, if you were to take some of these books and read them yourselves, you might pull things out of there that we didn't even sure. pull out that you think, oh, this is perfect for our family. But yeah. there are also books on that list that it's not just that they're not quite good enough. There are many books on that list, including Christian books, where we actually completely disagree, disagree. Yeah. with the philosophies. Like, we, I mean, we went through, like, so Connected Child, which is, um, I mean, it's parenting children from hard places and mm-hmm. great book mm-hmm. and, and obviously I think there's a little bit 
skill set and tools are a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. But then, then there's other parents. So we're like, yeah. yeah. And we're raising our adopted with our right. biological yeah. right. Some people are like this, and we're like this. Trying yes. to mesh it all together. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you guys have a very unique set of challenges because you are doing that, and it, it's going to require grabbing a hold of certain tools mm-hmm. and letting go of others that maybe other families would do the opposite. So I think you're right. I think it does make it a little bit more difficult for you guys to wade through the process. But if you go back to, okay, what's our family vision? And are we lining up our strategies, tips, and tools with our family vision? If we are, then yeah, some of them won't work as well as others with our bio kids versus our adopted kids, but we're moving in the right direction. And I think big picture, 30,000 foot perspective is what you have to keep pulling up to uh, instead of getting caught in the weeds, right? Because yeah. it's so easy to get caught in the weeds. Yeah. I think the light bulb moment for me last week was like, what's their heart posture? Yeah. That was huge for me. Yeah. Ultimately, you're, you're turning them back to the Lord as well. It's like, those are... Right. Yeah. So. Okay, can we go through a super quick scenario? Yeah. Yeah. If one of our kids um, does not know first-time obedience, for sure. So in the midst of really building these boundaries and setting these foundations, right? So... A child is testing me, lays down three times today, lays down, please get up, let's start doing our work, does not respond, mm-hmm. does not acknowledge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on purpose. She mm-hmm. knows what she's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you walk through that? And when I say that, not just the consequences, mm-hmm. but how would you walk through that almost like mm-hmm. really trying to find out where her heart is at? Mm-hmm. Why, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As we've mm-hmm. been doing outside of the moment. First thing you have to recognize about that kind of scenario is that it's a power struggle. You want to avoid power struggles as much as you possibly can. Think of it like a two-year-old temper tantrum, okay? With a two-year-old temper tantrum, you're not going to spank that two-year-old out of their tantrum. Mm -hmm. You have to give them the space for them to calm down and gain some self-control over their emotions and their choices, and then deal with whatever the issue is. So for this daughter, you're going to have to (laughs) understand and have her understand this is not acceptable. So we can't move on with anything in your day, whether it's a meal, an activity. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. No privileges. So, but, but this is my question. Mm-hmm. If you're not saying to leave that situation, because I've already, like I'm talking, she's in her chair mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to pick up her plate mm-hmm. and go mm-hmm. do the dishes like mm-hmm. she was already asked to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I don't leave, mm-hmm. right? You're not saying to leave the situation. You're just saying, that's my question. Okay, so if you stay and go toe-to-toe with her in that moment, what you're doing is, is exacerbating the power struggle. Right, but should I be actually leaving after I've already asked? You have to give her the choice to choose to obey. So again, think about the fact that that child has free will. Mm -hmm. And the more you go like this with her in that moment, the less she's going to choose to submit her will to the Lord and to you. So you've given the instruction and then you do need to step away and give her the time and the space to emotionally process. What am I going to choose? Knowing that you're going to come back in two minutes, three minutes, whatever, and say, okay, what was your choice? At that point, she has to have consequences no matter what, because she chose to disobey right from the get go. But you give her the space to settle down, to gain control of her rebellious heart. And then step back in and say, okay, now we're going to bring in the consequences. As soon as the parents are outnumbered, who cares what they're doing? <laughs> just put them all in a room and it's survival of the fittest. 
Lock the door from the outside. That's right. <laughs>